welcome back to Fresh New Shorts, the podcast that offers you new short stories from award-winning writers. Today's story is Ark and Cinnamon by John Blackmore. It's an extra for a podcast series, not currently found in A Physicist Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena, available on Amazon. Cinnamon, Saskatchewan is perhaps the driest place on earth, with a drought spanning years. After her divorce, a woman and her son moved to the town to teach. They are not the only fish out of water or waterless plain. A dad and his daughter are building a boat on the prairie, attracting the suspicion and ire of a local family. An Ark in Cinnamon Billy Kulak was shifting dangerously in his seat, his hands rubbing up and down the thighs of his hard black lees, his head bobbing slightly from side to side as if he were dodging tiny ghost punches. His blue eyes bored down on the teacher. He took the dressing down she was doling out, dodging like those ghost jabs had been real, like someone was used to hitting him. I hadn't even heard what Billy had done to warrant this lecture. I had been staring out of the window toward the ark, slowly rising from the parched prairie some five miles outside town. It hadn't rained here in Cinnamon Sask for 221 days. Drought made strange things happen. The teacher was calm and her words punched through the dust. I knew this voice. She had bottled up her high-pitched voice that quavered when she was hurt and ready to cry. I had heard that before. I could see her turn her back on Billy to go to the blackboard. I didn't watch her directly. I watched Billy. There was a knife crammed in the side-slit pockets of his hip-hugging jeans. I had seen it flashing brilliantly in the recessed sun as he talked about how he had once cut a deer up the belly and hung it to dry for his dad. In the days before crops dried up and the deer went north. Billy's head stopped moving, and his chin went down. His hands slid up to his pockets and waited there. Jesus, we'd just come to Cinnamon, my mother and I, two weeks ago. If he pulled a knife, I thought, I would stand up and chop down hard on his arm. Then I would kick the knife to the front of the class. So often I'd rehearsed how to save my mother. I could feel the same prickly nervous rash start to itch on my chest as I began to sweat. I don't need this, and I don't need you, you... Billy swore some, spitting it out like he was sick and had to get rid of the black bile of words. He swept his blue, understanding literature book down to the floor with a spray of pencils, erasers, and an NHL sharpener. We're getting the... out of here. Dad and me and my brothers and our dogs and Ma, goddamn dried up town with no jobs and nothing to do and... brains, teachers, telling you what you're doing burst up out of his seat. He kicked the desk, pitched over, and the books and exercises and geometry set in his belly spilled out over the floor. He picked up the desk and slid it like a curling stone against the long bank of chipped paint radiators lining the window wall. He shook and trembled, and his left hand kept sweeping up and down his thigh while his right rested on the bulge in his slit pocket where I knew he had the knife. Mom had not turned to face Billy, but stood as still as Lot at the board. Chop the arm, kick the knife, I repeated. You hearing me? B- 
Billy screamed. His right leg jiggled like he was fairly going to blow out of his pants. Then, in between Billy's shouts, I heard a whimper. It was the fat girl, Mary. She was the Arkman's daughter. Thank God, I thought. And then I hated myself for thinking it. Thank God, because he would turn on me next if he couldn't get my mother's attention. And Mary, she didn't talk, ever. It's you and your crazy dad that's making the rain stop coming and killing everything. He's a crazy... Billy snorted. His eyes hummed with his energy. Building that big boat out here on the prairie. Holy mother of God. Billy started knocking his head. Hello? Hello? Anybody in there? Anybody home for Christ's sake? Billy stood, panting. Mary sobbed ever so quietly in her seat. Billy lurched like he was going to go for her. I froze. I didn't do anything. Like how I practiced, but never did anything. But it didn't matter. Billy was faking it. He lunged at Don Blakey across the aisle from him, and Don flinched. Billy laughed again. He beamed and crackled like a blue ball of electricity. We're going to burn down that boat, he snorted. Why don't you say something? Talk, he shouted at Mary. Crazy, he snorted again. He wheeled around to glare at all of us in the room and kicked his book and stomped out of it, and like a freak storm, blew away. My mother turned around to face the class without meeting our eyes. She stared out the windows, watching Billy knock over garbage tins, kick rusting pickup bumpers, and fling whooshing roundhouses at all the ghosts that hovered about his head. Slowly, she made her way over to Mary's desk and put her hand on her shoulder. I couldn't look at my mother after letting her down again. I should have told Billy, knife or no knife, to shut up. I set my eyes out the windows, embarrassed and hollow. On the edge of the horizon, the bones of the great ark hovered in the heat waves on the lifeless prairie. Mom and I were driving in her stolen station wagon across the rambling ruts of tractor furrows and abandoned prairie dog tunnels towards the skeleton ark. It was a sticky Indian summer Saturday, but our windows were rolled up to keep out the clouds of fine red dust that trailed us and seemed to part to make way for our passage. Mom had taken the job to teach in Cinnamon after everything went crazy at home. One week later, here we were, the driest place on earth. She kept reaching for the mint green pack of cool menthols on the bench seat, yo-yoing back and forth. She knew I hated to see her smoke. Finally, she just stopped the car, picked up the pack of cigarettes, and got out. The red dust caught up with us and engulfed the car like the bath-warm Atlantic waves. I remembered when the three of us went to Daytona Beach that one happy time. I could hear her coughing outside, more from the dust than anything. They used to grow things here, I thought. Barley? Maybe canola? I got out and leaned on the peeling roof looking at the back of her head. Don't start on me about smoking, she said to the empty prairie, staring out towards the hulking shell of the boat. Sometimes the only thing keeping body and soul together is smoke. I stared past her. From here, the ark looked like the surprisingly intact bones of a monstrous dinosaur, bones released from the hold of the prairie 
blown clean and smooth by the sand-grit wind. There were long curving beams like ribs that once could have held a huge throbbing dinosaur heart. It was about two and a half stories high or about 200 feet long. It etched a hungry shadow on the dead flat earth. Mom stomped out her smoke and got back in. Now I'm covered in that dust, she said, screwing her eyes. She looked into the rearview mirror and flicked her fingers through her hair. This was a professional call. Mary hadn't come back to class after Billy blew up. Did I smudge my lips? She asked me. And then, forget it. Mary's dad was hanging on something that looked like a swing about 15 feet off the ground, hammering spikes into boards and beams. Ahoy, my mother called out, smiling. And then she used her serious voice. I'm Mary's teacher. She hasn't been in school. He lowered himself down with a pulley until he hovered about a foot off the ground. The red grit had collected in the creases near his eyes and some of it ran down his cheeks with sweat. He was wearing an uninflated but inflatable life vest, the yellow ones that you see in an emergency airplane card. Two tags to pull, two straws to blow up. Mary, he called out. Away from the ark, there was a small fishing boat on blocks where Mary and her dad lived. Mary came out of the cabin and leaned on the bow railing. She was wearing her airplane life vest, undone, over a shrunken Little Mermaid t-shirt. She was actually painfully thin. You haven't been going to school? her dad asked. We all watched Mary. She shook her head. So she'd been wearing that thing under her big hot sweaters and canvas shirts all this time. I'll talk with her, he said to my mother. We stood there. He hung in the air. Does she have a problem with her speech, my mother asked. I, I know she isn't deaf. She hasn't really spoken to anyone else but me since the accident, he said. I see, Mom said. I didn't know. It's not in her records. When was the accident? Last spring, before we moved here. We all stood there on the broad, flat husk of a prairie. Mary's dad hanging from a swing on an ark. Mary standing on the deck of a boat, wearing a life vest. And my mother and I somehow feeling we were the things not right with the picture. Well, uh, good then. Um, I can expect her in school on Monday. Back in the car, my mother rolled down the windows and put up with the dust while she smoked. Why didn't you ask him what he was doing? I asked her. Doing what? What? Jeez, the ark. Billy is a maniac, but he was right about them all being crazy. She shrugged and let her shoulders relax. It's not my business. People move places and do things for a lot of reasons, she said. You should know that. I stared back out the rear window, watching the ark recede in clouds of red dirt. She threw her cigarette out the window and rolled it back up. What did you think? she asked. I was thinking of Mary. I said, It must be tough to decide whether you'd rather be known of as fat or crazy.
The Kuliks hadn't left town yet, Don Blakey told me as we walked home from school. The Kulaks were fixing to leave cinnamon with a bang. Don clapped his hands and popped his lips to make the point. What do you mean, I asked him. They aim to take out the big boat. Why? Don looked at me, puzzled. Because they're crazy. At first, my mother didn't make much of it, but then, thinking of the Kulak, she said we should phone someone. The nearest police detachment was 50 kilometers away in Carrot River. She stood at the kitchen sink, thinking. She was trying not to cry. I'd seen this face. Come on, she said. Get in the car. In the last hour of the sun, the beams of that arc cast shadows, clawing their way back to embrace Cinnamon. Mary's dad hung from his swing, wearing his life vest, listening to us. He stroked his sunburnt cheeks. You should come back to our house, my mother said. The Kulaks are dangerous people. You take Mary, he said. I'm staying here. Mom offered Mary a hamburger, frozen pizza, chicken pot pie, peanut butter, and grape jelly, but Mary wouldn't eat. She sat in our kitchen, absorbing sound from the air. She was actually pretty. Her hair was scraggly long and gold. Her face was drawn and pale, despite all the sun they must have out on that boat. My mother kept talking to us. My mother was used to talking to no effect. She had done that with my dad. She was on the phone with the Reeve and the town nurse, but they didn't have any help to offer. The Kulaks were trouble, they were telling her, but they had been here since before the town had a name. Would you like to wash up, Mary? My mother asked. You could take a bath. All the stuff is there. Mary stood in the bathroom doorway, watching the water fill the tub. Our place was small, and I could hear her splashing in the tub like a six-year-old, even in the living room. My mother turned on the television to watch Jeopardy, but we both stared out the big window to where the ark hunched on the plains. It was dark now. You couldn't see the moon. What's that? My mother said. I thought I saw a flash. I walked over to the window and cupped my hand over the glass to cut the glare. What do you see? She asked. Then I saw the flare, as if from a gun at sea, and then another. I waited a second and then heard the popping sounds like the one Don Blakey made with his mouth. A small dull glow of red started to burn to create the horizon. Fire! Oh my God, fire! My mother shouted. Then Mary was there, wrapped in the Mickey Mouse towel we'd brought back from Florida. Thin, dripping, her long golden wet hair swept back like a mermaid's tail. She ran to the window and held her towel in one hand and put the other wet hand on the glass, watching. The fire grew. We grabbed Mary's things and ran to the car. A loose herd of other pickups lit up the fields with us. But then, halfway to the fiery arc, over the sound of the engines, a monstrous rumble broke forth from the sky and ripped the night open. Oh my God, my mother said angling her head to look up through the windshield. Broad, splashing balls of rain bounced off the cars and trucks. Oh God, Mary said. I turned to look at her. He's afraid of water. Hurry. We passed the other trucks. They had stopped dead with the downpour.
We drove past wide-eyed, wrinkled men raising their dry faces to taste rain. Mary's dad was huddled in the fishing boat, big gouts of rain thudding on the wooden roof of the cabin. Mary wrapped the Disney towel around her father. He had his hands over his ears, his eyes winced shut. My mother checked for blood on his face or body. Mary looked up at Mom and me from where she was kneeling next to her dad's prone body. It's water he's afraid of, she said. I thought she might cry, but her eyes were as dry as the desert. They, she said. The simple word didn't seem to be able to explain the lives. She started again. They drowned in the accident, she whispered. They... I walked out onto the deck of the boat. The rotten smell and hiss of a doused campfire hung over the prairie. Pickups started arriving guilty slow, their headlamps lighting thick beams of rain. Men flitted about in the smoke gloom, holding their jean jackets up like wings to cover the bawling tops of their heads. One man stared at me, standing there, soaking on the deck, crazy in the deluge. He looked like my father. I stared him down hard, and he slunk away too. And yet, undeterred, he and the others walked, mostly in pairs, across the threshold of the great, unfinished boat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again.